Uh, hi, everyone. Um, tonight, we are going to be looking through uh, the passage that Harold just read for us, Psalm 129. Uh, and, and as we get started, I want to start just with giving you a little bit of a, a, little bit of a warning. Um, and that's that the passage that we're working through tonight is, is not an easy one to, to deal with. It's not an easy one to work through. And uh, may, maybe you got that sense a little bit as, as Harold was reading through it. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this passage that's really difficult to understand. And it, it is a beautiful passage. I love this psalm, but it's not an easy one. As, as I was preparing uh, for, for preaching this Sunday, as I went the first time I sort of went, went through the psalm, I, I sat and I'm like, man, how, like, how, how do I work through this? And then uh, the, the more I dug into it, um, the, the more I saw how beautiful of a passage this is. Um, but the reason it's so tough is because this is a psalm that gets right, right to the heart of two different topics that make us a little bit uncomfortable. A and we don't exactly know what to do with them when we, when we see them in the Bible. But both of the things that we're going to look at uh, tonight are so important for understanding our, our, world, to, our world today and, and how we relate to the world. Because the two main things that are, are focused on in this passage are suffering and justice. And again, you, you hear those words and, and they make us a little bit nervous when we, when we see words like this in the Bible. But as difficult as they both can be, it, it's really important to understand what the Bible has to say about these two topics because they're both things that we encounter in our world on almost a daily basis. Like we, we, see, we see this so commonly in our world. And really what this psalm, what this psalm gets at is, is talking about how we process and, and respond to suffering and injustice. Again, not, not an easy topic, but an important one. But you look at the beginning, this psalm has quite an abrupt start to it. And it's a start that you really wouldn't expect to see in a psalm of ascent like this. You know, uh, we pointed out before how all of the psalms that we've looked at so far in this series, they've kind of had the same, uh, the, the same opening to them. They've all started with, with pretty much the same thing. And I, I read a quote a couple weeks ago by Charles Spurgeon, where he said, every psalm of ascent up to this point has started with the same idea of focusing on God and worshiping him. That's how all of them have started. But then you look at this psalm, and it starts out uh, quite a bit differently. Look at the first line of verse 1, where it says, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. It's a, it's a little bit different from what we've seen up to this point. It's not starting with looking up to God. This psalm is starting with a, a cry of pain and lament from the psalmist as he's sort of looking back into his past and reflecting on, on the, the, the suffering and the struggles that he's gone through. And he repeats himself in verse 2, kind of emphasizing the, the intensity of what he's feeling. Where it says, let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And you, you, look, you look at that abrupt start. There's not really much buildup or, or lead into that. And it almost feels like we're kind of catching the psalmist mid-thought here. You know, you kind of get the, the sense that 
the author here has been thinking about this for, for a while. He's been reflecting on, on these afflictions, on this suffering, and he's been getting more and more worked up the more that he's thought about it. And now it's just kind of bursting out of him. It's, it's just bubbling over at this point. He can't contain it. And, and so we have this cry of pain and lament over the suffering and the affliction that he's experienced. And it's not just a, a personal lament for, for the author here. There, there's an element of reflecting on his own personal suffering. There's a lot of uh, me and my in this passage. But there, there's also an element here of reflecting on, on corporate suffering or community suffering. He's reflecting not just on his own suffering, but the suffering uh, of his nation, of his people. You know, in that bursting out of emotion, there's also an invitation there for others to join in with him. He's inviting all of God's people to, to reflect on the suffering that they've been through, all, all the struggles that they've endured at the hands of their enemies. And, and you've got that line there, let Israel now say. And this isn't the, the first time we've seen that line in, in one of uh, these psalms, but we have it again here. Uh, and he's essentially saying this isn't just for me. Like, this, is, this isn't just a personal thing. This is, this is for all of us uh, as the people of God to reflect on, on what we've been through. And so we, we start out this psalm not looking up to God, but with a very emotional lament about suffering, the, the suffering that the psalmist and his people have endured. And, and as, we, as we go through the first little bit of this passage and, and look at what he says, I want to make two observations about, about this suffering that he's talking about. And the first one is that the suffering that he's referring to here is, is something that he and his people have, have been facing that's been going on for a very long time. He says that greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. You know, this isn't just sort of reflecting on, on something that happened yesterday. That something that's just taken place and he's, he's struggling to make sense of that and, and to process it. Uh, th this is something that essentially has been going on for an entire lifetime. And he's still struggling with it. This, this affliction that he's talking about has been very long-lived. He says, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. And again, that's true of the nation as well. If you, if you look back over the history uh, of Israel as a nation, there are countless examples uh, of them being uh, oppressed or afflicted by nations around them. There, there are so many examples of that. And it's not really clear exactly which situation or, or which instance of suffering the, the psalmist is referring to here, but the truth is I, I don't really think that matters. Because what he's communicating here is that, that this affliction and suffering has happened frequently and, and repeatedly. It's been going on for a very long time. And he's struggling with, with the reality of this suffering that he's been facing for, for most, if not all, of his life. So that's, that's the first observation there, that this suffering has been very long-lived. And the second one is that this suffering that he's talking about is incredibly intense. You know, the, the imagery that he uses here is really graphic, He's, he gives us a description of, of the suffering that he's been facing for so long at, at the hands of these enemies. And in verse 3, he says, The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. Like, that is brutal. 
That is, that is not a comfortable or, or a happy verse to read. He, he compares this suffering to the feeling of having someone drive a plow on your back. And, and I don't know if you're familiar with the kind of plow that he's talking about, but it's essentially this, this giant like wedge-shaped instrument that a, a farmer would use to, um, in, in the field to make these long indents or, or trenches where they would plant their crops, something that would be, uh, that would be pulled by, by an ox or some strong animal so that it could dig into the ground to make room for the crops to be planted. Like, that is the image that he's using here to describe what, what he and his nation have been going through. That, that is a brutal illustration to use. He's capturing this idea of incredible pain and, and suffering that, his, that he and his people have been experiencing at the hands of their enemies. Now, I was reading uh, in the book Journey to Joy by Josh Moody as he was talking about this passage, and he comments on this verse specifically and the imagery that's used, and, and he says this is the kind of thing that you would expect to hear from someone who, who's being tortured. Like, like that is the level of, of intensity that, that is being communicated here in this image. The suffering that he's talking about here is long-lived and intense. And so we, we look, this is just the first three verses. We, we look at this and, and we kind of have to ask, what is this doing in, in the Psalms of Ascent? This is nothing like the other Psalms that we've, that we've read so far. And how do we deal with what we see the psalm is going through and, and wrestling with here? Like, how do we process these verses and the, the incredible pain that he's talking about? Well, like I said at the beginning, suffering is an incredibly uncomfortable topic. It, it, it makes us really uncomfortable to, to talk about, to, to think about, because um, we, we don't like to think about about suffering, whether that's thinking about people that we care about suffering or, or suffering ourselves, but it is such an important thing for us to talk about because it's something that, that the Bible does talk about. And essentially what we're seeing here in the beginning of this psalm is, you, is that you are allowed to struggle when you face really difficult times and, and suffering in this world. You are allowed to struggle through that. You know, in this series up, up to this point, we've talked a lot about the faithfulness of God in a broken world. And that is so important. But I think we can, we can almost get in our mind that if we're going to trust in the faithfulness and the love of God, then, then that means that we're not really allowed to struggle with, with the suffering that we face in this world. Or, or if we do struggle with something difficult, we kind of have to work through it quickly and then, and then move on and, and sort of deal with it really quick. And if we don't, it means we must not really trust that God is faithful. If we continue to struggle with suffering, it means we don't really trust that, that God is loving or that he is faithful. Now, that is not what we see going on here in this passage. You, we're, we're being introduced to this psalm with a very honest and a very emotional struggle that the author is going through here over the suffering that, that he and his people uh, have, have experienced. And again, you look at that abrupt start to, to the psalm, that, that emotional outburst uh, of the psalmist. Like they, he, he would not have been in a, in a calm or composed state of mind when, when writing this. You look at the intense imagery that's used. He's not sugarcoating 
what he's been through. He's not sugarcoating what his people have been through. And so what what this psalm is essentially doing in these first couple verses is, is giving us that permission to be honest with God about the struggles that we face and and the suffering that we're going through and the ways that that is impacting us and and how much that can hurt. You know, you don't have to downplay the difficult things or pretend that they're not as difficult as they are in order to really trust in God. You know, it's not wrong to cry out to God and to tell him that you're hurting. You can be honest with God about what you're going through. But it, it doesn't stop there. The, the psalm is giving us permission to, to struggle through the suffering and, and, and the affliction that we face in the world. But it goes a step further than that. Because there can be a danger when, when we're reflecting on suffering the way that the psalmist does here. There can be a danger to kind of get stuck there. To, to kind of get stuck in and overwhelmed and discouraged by, by reflecting on that suffering that, that we've been through or, or the struggles that we've faced, and, and we can kind of get bogged down. I think that's why the next part of the psalm is, is so important to look at because what, what the next part is going to talk about is how we're called to respond to the suffering that we face. You know, we can be honest about our struggles, but we also need to understand how we're being taught to respond to those struggles. And that's what... It, the, the author really addresses here in verses 4 to 8. And as again, again, as we move through this next sort of chunk of verses, I want to make two different observations about how the, this psalm is teaching us to respond to, to the suffering that, that we face and see around us in the world. And the first thing actually shows up in the second half of, of verse 2. You might have noticed I, I kind of glossed over this a little bit before, and now I want to bring us back to it. Because this is, this is what he says in verse 2. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. So the first half of this psalm, we, we see the psalmist, he, he's reflecting on his struggles, and, and we see this really difficult and, and honest reflection on, on what he's seeing as he cries out with this, with this graphic imagery in this lament But it's so important to see that this this struggling is not leading him to a a place of hopelessness or or despair. You know, he says, Greatly have they afflicted me, yet they have not prevailed against me. You see, this psalm is giving us permission to be honest with God uh, about what we're struggling with. We're we're not not being told to bottle that up or, or to hide it or pretend that everything's okay. But the psalmist, while he's reflecting on on these struggles, he's not just content to let himself wallow in that, wallow in those struggles and sort of develop this this woe-is-me attitude. He's honest about his struggles, but he's not overwhelmed by them. And, and, And we see that in that line, yet they have not prevailed against me. These struggles have been really difficult, but they haven't overwhelmed him. And that leads right into, into verse 4, which really is a, is a key turning point in this psalm. And this is what he says, The Lord is righteous, and he has cut the cords of the wicked. And so now, finally, in, in this psalm of ascent, in the fourth verse, we're finally looking up to God. 
You know, verse 4, this is the verse that we would have expected to start out uh, seeing in this psalm. We would have expected this to, to come first, that we would be reminded of God's righteousness, almost to, to soften the blow of the struggles that the psalmist talks about in verses 1 to 3. But it doesn't come at the beginning. It comes here right in the middle of everything. And I think that placement is actually very intentional. I think we see this in the middle of the psalm because it, we're, we're being taught through the author's example here where our struggles should lead us. And that's to a place of, of trust in God. You know, as we're tracking along with the, the psalmist's train of thought here, he starts with this, with this deep lament. And this is where that lament has brought him. This is, this is where he's come to. We, we see that, that intense and that difficult emotion, and yet we still have these statements of trust that the author knows that he's not overcome by, by his suffering, by his enemies, because the Lord is righteous and he has cut the cords of the wicked. And when the verse says that he, he's cut the cords of the wicked, essentially what it's saying there is he's taken away all of their power. He, he has taken away all of the power that, that they would have over the psalmist and over his people. And he's, giving, he's given them freedom. He's given freedom to his people. But you, you notice that this verse, it doesn't cancel out the ones that came before it. You know, in, in this psalm so far, we have both this, this intense and, and difficult lament, as well as trusting in the righteousness of God. You know, this, this statement that the Lord is righteous, that doesn't diminish the, the struggle that, that we just read in the first three verses. You know, that, that intense and, and graphic imagery, that is still there. But that pain and, and that suffering that we saw in the first three verses, that, that doesn't cancel out the faithfulness or the righteousness of God. You know, at the end, even after reflecting on all that he's been through and, and struggling with what he's been through, this is where the psalmist comes to this declaration that the Lord is righteous. And it reminds me uh, of something, actually, that Jesus said to his disciples in John uh, chapter 16, verse 33. This is, this is during the farewell discourse, actually, that we looked at uh, as a church a couple months ago. And this is what he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And again, you, you look at Jesus' words there, the, the reality of suffering is not ignored. The, the reality of suffering is not lost there. He, he actually assures his disciples that they will, they will struggle, they will face tribulations and, and suffering, and but believe me, they do. They, they suffer a lot. But at the same time, he, he tells them, take heart, because he has overcome the world. Now, because of what Christ did on, on the cross through his death and, and his resurrection, he's overcome the power of sin, the, the power of death, and he offers that gift of eternal life to anyone who follows him. And that is something that no enemy could ever take away. No enemy could ever have any power over the gospel. And so while we still face suffering 
in this world, and, and we continue to struggle through that. We, we continue to struggle with that reality. We can confidently say in Christ that the Lord is righteous, and he has cut the cords of the wicked. Because of Christ, no enemy holds any power over us at the end of the day. This psalm teaches us to respond to our suffering by trusting in the righteousness of God. And then the second response, after, after verse 4, we, we come into what I think is the most difficult part of this psalm. The, the section that makes us the most uncomfortable and, and we don't really know what to do with. And I, I just want to read these verses to you again. It says, May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. Let them be like the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. And so we see these last four verses, and, and we see here a cry for justice from the author against those who have wronged him and, and his people. And it seems really harsh. We, we have in these, in these verses the, that same level of intense emotion that you see in the first few verses, in, in that lament, uh, as the psalmist is struggling through the suffering that he's faced at, these, at the hands of these very same enemies. What he's doing here is, is he's wishing, essentially, utter destruction on his enemies with, with that same level of graphic imagery that we, that we saw before. You know, he says, let them be like, like grass that withers. You know, let them, let them be like, like grass that the reaper doesn't fill his hand with. He's talking there about someone who would, who would be collecting or harvesting wheat and, and looking, at, looking at this and saying, no, that's, that's useless. I'm not even going to bother picking that up. Or, or in verse 8, let them not be, be blessed by those who pass by. Verse 8, that's sort of a, a common like a common greeting or, or blessing that people would give to one another. One person would say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you, and the other person would respond, we bless you in the name of the Lord. Uh, and so essentially, they're, they're not worthy of even the most like, basic common courtesy here. And so how do we understand a, a harsh cry for justice like this in this psalm? You know, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus taught his disciples that, that they, they weren't supposed to to lash out against their enemies. They were supposed to turn the other cheek. And so how do we look at that and then understand uh, this, this cry for justice against, against the enemies of, of the author of this passage? Well, as I look at what he's saying here, I, I think it's important to note that this is not a personal cry for justice and this is not a vindictive cry for justice. You know, we, we don't see the psalmist here looking at his enemies and saying, you did something bad to me, so I want something worse to happen to you. Look again at the beginning of verse 5, where, where he says, may all who hate Zion be put to shame. You know, he's not seeking vengeance for, for himself or revenge against those who've wronged him. And, and he's also not taking matters into his own hands here. He, he's not calling for... For, for his people to, to rise up and to, to go against the, these enemies. But he is looking for justice against his enemies, against the enemies of the people of God. 
He's looking for the, the justice that God promises to his people. Because essentially what we have here in these last four verses amounts to a, another statement of, of trusting in God. Now we've already seen him, him putting his trust in the righteousness of God, and, and now we see him putting his trust in the justice of God. But at the end of the day, no matter what suffering he endures at the hands of his enemies, that God will act justly and punish those who have oppressed his people. Because we, we serve a God who is a just God. And those who choose to stand against him and, and against his people will one day face judgment. And it's, it's not for you and I to take that judgment in, into our own hands and say, I, I see this suffering happening in the world, and, and I am going to bring these people to justice, but rather to trust in the justice of God. And I love how, I love how Jamie Grant uh, sums this up in his commentary of this passage, and, and he's actually speaking to preachers here when he says this. He says, in preaching and teaching Psalm 129, we may be inclined to explain away or, or justify the presence of, of the imprecations in the psalm. In doing so, however, we take attention away from the psalm's great theological claim. A just God is present in the midst of an unjust world. And, and I love that because, because ultimately that's what the psalmist comes to here. As he's been lamenting and, and struggling with the suffering that he's faced, this is what he comes to. Because we, we live in an unjust world. I don't, I don't think I need to try very hard to convince you of that. We live in a world where we, we will face trials, we will face suffering that we do not deserve. And we will struggle to process that. It will be difficult. But in the midst of a world so full of injustice, God is still just. And that doesn't ever change at the end of the day his justice will be done and so we pray prayers like this not angrily or or vindictively wanting revenge against against people who've wronged us but full of trust that uh, as jamie grant pointed out a just god is present in the midst of an unjust world and so where where does that where does that leave us you know, the, this psalm may make us a little bit uncomfortable. We, we look at the reality of suffering, the reality of, of, of justice, and we may not fully like what we, need, what we see in this psalm. But the truth is that we need what we see in this psalm. Because we do live in, in a world that it is so full uh, of injustice and suffering. You know, we live in, in a world where in many countries to, to gather together like we are here to to, to follow Christ is, is putting your life at risk. You could, people, are, people are arrested, people are, are put to death there. There are many countries in our world that are, are very opposed to the gospel and, and very harsh against those who, who would follow Christ. We see, we see injustice and suffering like that all around us. And I'm, I'm sure to one degree or another, most of us have encountered this kind of, this kind of suffering on, on a personal level. 
or known people who have. Maybe not to the, to the degree where our lives are on the line, but, but we've, we've felt this. And it's so important for us to learn how the Bible teaches us to respond to, to the suffering and, and the injustice that we experience in the world. And honestly, if I could sum up what Psalm 129 teaches us, this, this is what I would say, that Psalm 129 teaches us to be honest with God about what we're struggling with, but to respond to those struggles by trusting in his righteousness and his justice. You know, as I read through Psalm 129, I'm reminded of something that Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 12, where he's talking to the church and and he says to them, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. As Paul is telling the church to be patient in their tribulation and to be constant in prayer, it's prayers like this one that, that kind of come to mind. You know, these honest and, and emotional prayers to God about the suffering and, and the persecution that they're enduring, but also prayers where they are able to rejoice in their hope, declaring the Lord is righteous and he has cut the cords of the wicked. Because of what Christ has done for us, we, we're able to rejoice in our hope. We're able to be patient in, in, in our suffering, and we're able to be constant in prayer. We're able to be honest with God about our struggles, and, but also trust in his righteousness and justice, and, and cry out to him in the same way that the psalmist does here, saying, the Lord is righteous. Now, as I, as I end, I, I want to just end with reading you uh, a prayer about the justice of God. This is uh, a prayer that's written by A.W. Tozer in, in his book, uh, Knowledge of the Holy. In each chapter of this book, he looks at a different attribute of God, and he begins each different chapter with a prayer. And, and so um, this is his prayer about the justice of God, and, and I'm going to end, end with this. It says, our, our Father, we love you for your justice. We acknowledge that your judgments are true and righteous altogether. Your justice upholds the order of the universe and guarantees the safety of all who put their trust in you. We live because you are just and merciful, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, righteous in all your ways and holy in all of your works. Amen.